Hello and welcome to another bubble, the Western bubble. My name is Dario and I'm here with Boulder. If you don't know who we are, please listen to our regular episodes as this is one of our extra episodes where we pick items from the news that simply scream Western bubble. In these segments, we give some quick commentary on how we interpret these events. Last week, we promised you a, a, a regular episode for this week. Um, however, because of current events and also because we really like recording these extra episodes and they appear to be really popular among the listeners, we chose to do another one this week, which also helps me personally because I'm currently writing my thesis um, and these extra episodes are a little bit less mental load on us. Um, so today we will talk about uh, French President Macron's trip to China and his remarks on Taiwan. Balder, why are we talking about this today? Why, why, are, why are we so outraged about what Macron did? Hi, Dario. Uh, well, first of all, I should say that we're all looking forward to reading your thesis. Once it's finished, I hope you publicly publish it, um, available to all our listeners. Uh, Macron in China. Well, so in itself, there's not really much news uh, to report about a French president going to the second largest economy in the world. And what you told me, the second most populous country in the world now, since apparently, according to the UN, India is now the most populous nation. But there's nothing in itself newsworthy about the idea of the French president going to a very important, influential other country to negotiate, to talk about business, to talk about geopolitics. That's in itself would never be a reason to record a Western bubble episode. However, the reaction of especially the Anglo-Saxon and the German press and politicians about this, about how Macron positioned himself and how, um, uh, how he did not say certain things about Taiwan has been fascinating to observe and a perfect example of the Western bubble. Exactly. The statement in question uh, was published in Politico and apparently the interview happened on the flight back from China to France uh, where Macron sat down with journalists from Politico and there was one statement in particular that stood out to the world and I quote, the question Europeans need to answer, is it in our interest to accelerate a crisis on Taiwan? No. The worst thing um, would be to think that we Europeans must become followers on this topic and take our cue from the US agenda and our Chinese overreaction, end quote. So this was uh, Macron's answer to a question, and this is already my first criticism on it, just on Anglo-Saxon journalism in general, that they don't tell you what the questions were, that this was just a, a long article providing a lot of commentary and throwing in Macron's quotes once in a while without telling me what did the interviewer ask. I, I don't like that. Yeah, it, it, it would at very least be good to have the full transcript there, right, as a side document, just to be able to follow the real dialogue, because context is important here, obviously. But, but let's dissect the statement um, and what's so outrageous about it. So uh, Macron said, well, Europeans need to answer a question and to answer, basically, is it within a European interest to accelerate your crisis on Taiwan? And he said, no. I think that's a statement that... We can get more or less behind, right? Yeah, it's uh, accelerating crisis is not a good thing. Now, it would have been different if he had said something about we don't care about Taiwan or we're okay with China uh, annexing Taiwan or anything like that. But he just said, look, there, we, it is not up to us to become part of a crisis, to accelerate it. This is halfway around the world. 
it is something that we have to be practical, pragmatic about as Europe. And that makes perfect sense. And then the second part of the statement says that Europeans must become must must not become uh, followers on this topic and take the cues from the from the US or from a Chinese overreaction and makes sense as well, right? It makes, again, perfect sense. It's also very consistent with how Macron has positioned himself over time uh, with respect to European foreign policy to, and uh, the, their relationship with US foreign policy and Chinese foreign policy. Europe would like to position themselves in between those two large powers and not be part of this broad Cold War that the United States is trying to push. And then an additional part of, well, I don't know if it's from this quote, but from this interview was Macron answering, and I quote, the great risk um, Europe faces is that it gets caught up in crises that are not ours, which prevent it from building its strategic autonomy. And so this goes back to one of those very, uh, one of Macron's big dreams that of European strategic autonomy. Um, and here I assume you could read some some well some positioning into the into it right is that he he's claiming that the taiwan crisis is not a european one if there were to be a actual crisis between china and taiwan if china actually were to send a military into taiwan try to forcefully annex taiwan against taiwan's will then obviously that would be a crisis in which Europe would have to take a position at some point. They can't just act as if it doesn't happen. But until that moment arrives, surely it's not up to Europe to add oil to the fire. That is not in anyone's interest. It's not in Taiwan's interest. It's not in Europe's interest. It's not in the world's interest. There is nothing about this that somehow should be controversial. So then, I mean, overall, then what's the problem with with all of these statements. I mean, what's the problem of the French president talking to China? Nothing. And it also is a French president. We know that France has had a very different perspective on these global affairs than, um, uh, than the Anglo-Saxon world. And he sees himself as very much a manager, a business leader. He sees himself as someone who is not an ideologue. It's completely consistent with his foreign policy in the past. There, there shouldn't be anyone arguing that somehow he is breaking with any kind of tradition because he's not. Um, all he's doing is he has set up a meeting with Xi Jinping that, of course, requires some negotiation about the language you use for that meeting, the things that you do talk about, you don't talk about. We know that China is particularly sensitive about how the West portrays China. China has been very, very aggressively demanding respect from the West. And if you as a French president now want to negotiate with China, you want to go to Beijing and you want to talk business, but also you want to talk geopolitics, you're going to have to agree to a certain framework. That is the relatively light price you pay for being able to come closer to China. And there's nothing wrong with coming closer to China. There's nothing wrong with having that cooperation moving forward. See, one of the things you mentioned here is that it's in his interest to further French business interests. And this very much happened. So there was a delegation of 50-something French businessmen from big French companies. But that's also a standard procedure. It's, I mean, Scholz was in, so the German chancellor was in China a, a, few, a few weeks ago as well also with a big business delegation. I mean, so this is a standard procedure when, when 
countries' leaders uh, visit each other. And especially for a two entities like the European Union or France and China, who are very intimately economically related. Keep in mind that even though Europeans sometimes would like to portray the world as one where China is aggressively taking over Europe, China is also very dependent on Europe. The consumer market in Europe is by far the most important engine behind Chinese economic well-being. And so there is a very intimate relationship between these two countries. Yes, they are politically different, they have different ideologies, but they cannot avoid working together unless um, you decide to radically change the makeup of the global economy with all the negative consequences that are related to that. But if you accept that China and Europe need each other economically, then obviously you're going to have to think in pragmatic terms there. And I think one of the interesting aspects before his flight back, so obviously this entire bashing of Macron started after the trip, because during his trip there was a lot of talk of, well, the European economy needs to start a process of, quote-unquote, de-risking um, its, well, itself from, from the Chinese economy, which is not as extreme as the United States who said they need to decouple from the Chinese economy. So there you saw a first position on, well, Macron doesn't want to take it as extreme as the United States, but is still, I assume, at least aware of the risks um, that you have when you too when you become too dependent on one player, as Europe saw uh, with, with with Russia a year ago. Right. So you can absolutely have that kind of analysis, right? Saying, okay, what are the risks? I mean, risk avoidance is 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 something natural to the human condition. And what are the potential pitfalls? What are the dangers? It's perfectly right to critically look at that and say, oh, we should be careful not to become too beholden to one specific country in our economic affairs. No problem there. Uh, that is a completely different statement than decoupling because decoupling suggests a lack of legitimacy in terms of working with China, that somehow there's something inherently evil about having a trade relation or having some kind of political connection with China, which to me, it just amazes me how we can say that about a country that has 1.4 billion people, that is the, the great manufacturer of global relations in the 21st century, that is uh, increasingly uh, influential in uh, the World Bank, in the IMF, in the United Nations, in other regions in the world, Latin America, Sub-Saharan Africa, where do you get the arrogance from to say we as the West should decouple ourselves from those evil Chinese? Who are you to even suggest that, right? It, it, it seems so far away from the reality we observe in our world today that people who go down that route are very, very deeply covered in the Western bubble. So in itself, there was nothing extremist in Macron's words, right? No. Absolutely normal procedure, standard procedure. And there was one political article uh, that we're obviously going to link in the description below so that you can read it uh, yourself, that asked European politicians, European leaders, uh, and also uh, US leaders about their reactions to Macron's big misstep. And the first one comes from Manfred Weber, who is the leader of the uh, European Conservatives in the European Parliament. And he said, quote, 
Macron's interview has been a disaster and made clear the great rift within the European Union in defining a common strategic plan against Beijing, end quote. Already the phrasing a common strategic plan against Beijing, right? That already implies that we're somehow apparently in this Cold War with China, which obviously the European Union should very much try to avoid. Um, the disaster, it's only a disaster, a disaster if you perceive global relations to be one where you are representative of this inherent goods, Western liberal democracy, and you are actively fighting authoritarianism around the world. That's the only way that you can perceive Macron taking Xi Jinping and China seriously as a disaster, because that's all he did. He said, look, Macron only took China for what it is, a very large influential country that can actually benefit France and Europe, and Europe and France can benefit China. The only reason, the only way that you can portray that as somehow a disaster is if you believe that we should never do any business with China because they're authoritarian. Until they become democratic, until they become like us, they need to be isolated. Of course, that position is is very hard to defend. And I'm sure that if you were to call Manfred Weber out on that, he wouldn't be specific about what he wants to do with China. He just wants a tone against China, but he also understands that you can't decouple Europe from China. That's just impossible. I assume that's the very comfortable um, position he is in, in the European Parliament, uh, because, uh, I mean, so Manfred Weber is German, um, and Germany's biggest trading partner happens to be China. Uh, so you're, you're calling for a strategy against your biggest trading partner, which I know that Germany for a long time has kept to this foreign policy strategy of Wandel durch Handel, so no change through trade. And now there is this perception in Germany that this strategy overall failed because it didn't work with regards to Russia. And so there has to be a very big anti-reaction now to, to all of this. And now you have to overhaul your entire foreign policy strategy of the last 50 years. and now start fighting China instead of taking it for what it is. And if, you know, at least it would be a principled approach if you said, look, um, we believe that um, there's something dark about China and there's something uh, inherently evil about China and we want to cut off all ties. But if that is not what you're arguing, then exactly as you're saying, you're just taking the easy road where you're saying, oh yeah, okay, we'll deal with them, we'll trade with them, but... I will happily sit back and criticize those people who seem a little bit too positive about the country. Well, that is trying to get it, have it both ways, right? And then um, Norbert Röttgen, who is the head of the German Bundestag's Foreign Affairs Committee, um, he tweeted in a reaction to, uh, to Macron's interview, quote, Macron managed to turn his China trip into a PR coup for the Chinese President Xi Jinping and a foreign policy disaster for Europe. End quote. Once again, I mean, it's only a foreign policy disaster if you make it one. Uh, if, if, if you start making a big thing about it, if you create a crisis around it, yeah, then it could become problematic because it may, may look as if Europe is weak and divided and all that kind of thing. From a practical perspective, there's nothing disastrous about what Macron did. Um, it is only once again disastrous if somehow you take the position that any normalization of relations with China is somehow 
inherently against the nature of what Europe stands for, which I don't think that you can make that case. I mean, I should add that both of these uh, both of these people are strong transatlantists. Um, so let's move over to the other side of the Atlantic and see how Mike Gallagher, um, the Republican chairman of the U.S. House of Representatives Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party. So um, brace yourselves because he simply called Macron's visit, quote, embarrassing and disgraceful, end quote. I mean, that from an American perspective is less surprising um, because the Biden administration, with Republican support mostly, uh, chose very early on to start this Cold War mentality against China. So that the Americans don't like China and that they would like Europe to follow the American strategy is well known. Um, Europe should not give in to that. Um, Europe has its own strategy, has its own uh, positioning in the world. But the fact that the Americans are upset about this because they see European foreign policy, which at least in the 20th century was always completely beholden to Washington's foreign policy, they see that transatlantic kind uh, inherent implicit agreement collapsing when Macron does something like this. Yeah, they get upset about that, but that is purely a strategic thing. Once again, there's no ethical... Uh, argument, uh, no no moral validation behind this Cold War mentality. It's just a strategy that the United States has chosen to carry out, to execute, and they would very much like the Europeans to be part of that. And so, so these were, I mean, most of the people uh, that were quoted in this article, there were a few more, but all of them were, were negative quotes, right? Um, which is also very telling of Politico's uh, agenda here, where instead of getting all the reactions to Macron's trip, there was a specific focus on the negative reactions. It's, it's, it's a very clear choice by the media, in this case Politico, but you see it elsewhere as well, to portray it in that uh, format. And, and they could have easily gone around offices and asked more reasonable analysts who have less of a political bone to pick with Macron and what their perspective was, but the, the journalists decided not to and decided to very selectively quote, also selectively use certain types of language about China, about Macron, etc. And this is, this is one of those common themes you see in Western media, where Western media has this inherent bias, they, have the, they feel very comfortable with this bubble mentality of we're the good guys, they're the bad guys, and don't cross over, don't, don't create a bridge with the bad guys, because then you... You know, you, you stain yourself um, and uh, the media likes this kind of narrative because it works well for their agenda, obviously. And it also highlights this wolf pack mentality that, yes, outsiders of the bubble or of the tribe are attacked, but insiders who betray the tribe, they are attacked even more aggressively than the outsiders. Exactly. Because once again, I would only encourage uh, the listeners to just read Macron's words. So the fact that Macron gets attacked like this shows the, how he's all of a sudden been seen as a traitor, a traitor to the cause, a traitor to the tribe. How dare you um, suggest that um, Xi Jinping, the president of China, is somehow a valid partner to talk to without all the time um, mentioning Taiwan or criticizing China on what they do? How dare you cross over to that tribe? We are the good guys, they're the bad guys. Please keep a big wall between the two. So then this was the first article uh, that we wanted to um, kind of talk about in our little 
media analysis here. Uh, and the second article comes from The Guardian, from Simon Tisdale, uh, who wrote a commentary, uh, I think I think one should add. And there's a couple of statements in there that are very telling of that dynamic, of that thinking within the Western bubble. It's a, he, has a, he has a history of writing in, in a very bubbly way, <laughs> to put it like that. Um, he has a history of very much um, using Western moral values to separate Europe and North America from other parts of the world. And in that sense, it's not surprising that an article comes from, um, from him about this. It is just saddening to see the kind of language he uses and, and, and the way he portrays the situation, how he selectively chooses to highlight certain things about Macron and about China and how it doesn't actually provide any significant serious analysis. So, of course, this article uh, will be linked in the post description below as well. However, um, let's start looking uh, into it. Quote, in 2019, he, Macron, famously declared that NATO was experiencing brain death. He could hardly have been more wrong, end quote. This is one of those moments that I want to pull my hair out because he was absolutely right. Uh, NATO was brain, de uh, brain dead in 2019. It, it was dying a slow death already the moment the Soviet Union collapsed. There was no legitimacy behind NATO. The only reason why NATO now is back on the radar for many people and people somehow trust NATO is the Ukraine war, which has given this huge injection, you know, like uh, injection into the heart, reviving NATO for a short period of time. But the body is desperately weakened. There is in the long run no clear future for NATO. And, and just being um, almost fooled by a, a short-term dynamic, dynamic like Ukraine and using that as a reason for why NATO is not brain dead is, is, is bad journalism, is bad analysis. Macron was absolutely right in 2019. And the fact that something happened in 2022 that um, somehow revives NATO a bit for a short period of time doesn't change that overall long-term analysis. Exactly. Uh, I, I'm just upset about the wording here. He could hardly have been more wrong. It's, I know that you, know, you as a journalist use certain stylistic tools um, and that you do want to provoke a little bit. But it, it's, uh, no, I, I, I heavily disagree with this because that type of tone continues through the entire article. So let me continue. Quote, on China policy, European countries were too subservient to the US and should not be Washington's followers, he, Macron, suggested. Being an ally does not mean being a vassal um, or mean that we have the, the right to think for ourselves. Macron also implied that defending democratic Taiwan from a Ukraine-type Chinese invasion was not Europe's business, end quote. So it's the same dynamic, right? Uh, first, he takes some quotes from Macron, and then he adds the sentence, where, which we analyzed before, you know, that these sentences in itself uh, shouldn't be problematic. And then he adds, um, Macron also implied that defending democratic Taiwan from a Ukraine-type Chinese invasion was not Europe's business. Uh, sorry, it doesn't get more bubbly, <laughs> or there's no more bubble thinking than that. Well, this gets worse because, as we've argued, 
thinking within a bubble is being inherently biased, but this last sentence is a pure lie. Macron did no such thing. He didn't imply that defending democratic Taiwan from a Ukraine-type Chinese invasion was not Europe's business. He didn't take a position on that, which is the price you pay for talking to Xi Jinping. So uh, it, it's, it's a little bit like me um, having a conversation with you uh, and saying, hey, Dario, how are you doing? And that that somehow implies that I approve of any, any anything you might do in the future. No, I'm just having a conversation with you where I'm not aggressively limiting your future um, uh, your future behavior. But if tomorrow you murder someone, I will absolutely criticize you for that, and I will drag you to prison if I can. Um, so it's 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 just a lie to uh, put that in there. Macron also implied that it was not Europe's business. It's just not what Macron did. And then if you look at the, the above quotes, so the, the things before that, surely we can all agree that being an ally is not the same as being a vassal. There is a case to be made that in the 20th century during the Cold War, Europe was in some ways a vassal of the United States in the sense that Europe needed the United States to be defended from the Soviet Union, Western Europe. Um, but we're no longer living in the 1970s. This is now 2023. And the fact that Europe has friendly, good relations with the United States and coincides on some, ge on some geopolitical goals is not the same as automatically following any policy uh, strategy that's coming out of Washington. Especially if you consider um, what we've analyzed in the past uh, about Joe Biden, particularly in the United States, is that he's very much welcoming the rise of China to have an opponent again for the United States, you know, to externalize your problems again. One of the last episodes we we recorded um, to to have that outside enemy that you can rally your troops or your population uh, behind. And then additionally, he's the author here is very much using the word uh, democratic Taiwan. You know, it's again, it's we have to defend the democracies of the world against the non-democracies of the world, against the evil authoritarians. Yeah, um, and, and exactly right. That makes kind of sense. I mean, we obviously already have criticized it as well, but it, you can understand it from a U.S. perspective because the United States is trying to find a new identity. It doesn't really know who it wants to be internally and externally. And then you can understand why you would, would take that antagonistic position against Beijing, even though I think in the long run it's a mistake. However, Europe has no such need. Europe can define itself without having that outside enemy. Europe does not need to portray itself as a uh, global protector of democracy versus authoritarianism. It would be completely counterproductive for Europe to do that. And the next statement uh, that we want to highlight in this article, and I quote, Objectionable to many, too, was Macron's lauding of the idea of Europe as a separate geopolitical pole or third superpower on equal footing with China and the US. His championing of his concept is nothing new. It is rooted in Gaullist thinking. Macron frequently promotes what he calls European strategic autonomy. End quote. Once again, I mean... I, I'm not sure if we're heading towards a world with superpowers. Uh, and here I'm not just talking about Europe, but also talking about United States and China. I think there's a strong case to be made that we're almost going to go into a future without clear poles, without clear superpowers dominating others. But um, 
in itself, what is wrong with the idea of Europe having its own base of influence, its own power base, and 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 making its own choices um, that that can um, cooperate and, if needed, rival other powers in the world. That that idea makes a lot of sense if you care about European identity and you care about European interests. There is nothing controversial about this, but it gets positioned there as if. He is, once again, as you rightfully said, betraying the tribe, as if he somehow is breaking with this implicit alliance of Western nations fighting authoritarian evil. Objectionable to many. Uh, who, who is many? Um, who, who is that? I mean, yes, I I mean, we, we can kind of agree with this on the notion of the superpower, but whether there are three superpowers at all. But this lazy type of arg of argumentation of saying objectionable to many, aka myself. <laughs> exactly, it's, it's he just uh, is clearly projecting his own emotional state of mind there, his own his own perspective on this issue, and he's hiding behind this nondescript many. Um, I certainly don't fall into that group of many. It's not objectionable to me at all. I think um, you know. There's nothing weird about about your positioning it, uh, itself as an independent global power or a geopolitical force to be reckoned with. Um, it is a, it is it is suggesting that there is a tribe, a Western tribe that he the, the author here represents, that is condemning Macron for stepping out of the consensus. That's basically what it does. And just to highlight uh, Simon Tisdale's mindset overall. I mean, uh, journalistically well done is that, you know, once you mess up in an article, you put a little note at the end saying, sorry, we messed up. This is what we changed. However, what they changed here um, is very telling of the author's mindset on Russia, Putin and the rest of the world, where in the article it reads, um, quote, even after Putin ignored him and invaded, Macron insisted Moscow should be offered security guarantees and that Russia should not be humiliated, end quote. And at the end of the article, it says, uh, quote, this article was amended on April 16th, 2023, to clarify that Emmanuel Macron said Russia must not be humiliated. An earlier version suggested that this was about Vladimir Putin, end quote. So here you, you, you see that the author in his mind had the quote right in front of his mental eyes and saying, of course, Putin uh, is, is being apologized for by Macron. Is, Macron said Putin should not be humiliated. Well, he simply said this about Russia, something that, I mean, the French have experience with humiliating war parties after a war, I'm referring to World War I here, and how this usually doesn't turn out well and you should probably aim not to humiliate countries on the global stage, in particular when they have nuclear weapons. Yeah, it, it is, you can sort of feel the, the simplified process in the author's mind here, right? Where you, he almost, you can see him having posters on the wall of Putin and of Xi Jinping and throwing darts at those posters, at those pictures, uh, whenever he's in a bad mood. Uh, it is clear that in his mind, whenever Macron says something that isn't highly critical of China and actually just wants to do business with China, that somehow Macron is a Xi Jinping apologist or a Vladimir Putin apologist. Uh, understanding that Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping are leaders of very serious countries with large amounts of 
people living in those countries requires an, an acceptance of the complexity of global affairs, right? And um, not falling into the trap of thinking in terms of black versus white, good versus evil, that kind of thing, but understanding the full scope of of global dynamics. And that's obviously not done by an author like this. And when he then changes Russia for Vladimir Putin, that is a very nice psychological insight into how he simplifies these kinds of narratives. So what do we conclude about Macron's trip to China um, and his statements on Taiwan? What is our conclusion to German and Anglo-Saxon outrage in the political and media sphere? Well, first of all, that um, there's a lot of hypocrisy going around because at the same time, um, these are countries and politicians that are happy to, at a practical level, still um, make money from um, from China and even from Russia whenever possible. Um, there is a real problem that we have at a foreign policy level, and it's what this is probably the key reason why we're doing this podcast series, is that... In itself, it's perfectly fine to have a principled foreign policy, but then you have to be consistent. And so you can say, we have some moral concerns about something and we want to use our trading power and we want to use some of our geopolitical power to somehow be a force for good in the world. You can do that, but then you have to be clear about that. What is happening here is that we don't define our specific interests, whether they are economic or principled, moral or whatever, um, clearly, as these are the things we want to achieve with China, these are the things with, we want to achieve with Russia, uh, and we're going to pursue them in this way by doing X, Y, and Z. We don't go through that process. Instead, we are limited by our ideological extremism. Instead, we cannot differentiate the fact that countries do sometimes things that we don't like and that we have to respond to that, to this belief that somehow inherently we are the good guys and they are the bad guys. And that ideological extremism, that extremism of the West, of believing that somehow they can whack their finger at others and say, if you don't become like us, if you don't do what we say, then we will be your worst enemy, um, actually is very damaging for the selfish interests of Europe, the, the, the self-centered interest of Europe, let alone the well-being of the Chinese or the, let alone the well-being of the Taiwanese or the Russians who don't benefit from this at all or the Ukrainians. They are hurting because of this incredible bubble mentality that Western media and many Western politicians are victim of. That is it with today's extra episode as in addition to our regular ones. We'll be grateful for your feedback to this new format and questions that you can submit to the Western Bubble at gmail.com. Next Wednesday, there will be a new episode.